We're going to start a series. Technically, we're going to start next weekend, but we're going to kind of lean into it. We're going to introduce it today with a little bit different format. When we started Lakeside Church, uh, we, we, didn't have a, we didn't have a thriving Kids Fest ministry like we do now. We didn't know how we're going to keep children entertained while we have church for adults and all the things that go with that. And so uh, I got this idea from someone else, but I got this little shoebox and we wrapped it up with some fancy paper, and I brought it into church on the first weekend, and we had the children come up to the front, all four of them, two of whom were mine. And uh, I sat down in the front. I had this little box, and, and I told the children it's going to be called the mystery box. And the mystery box would go home with a different child every week, and the instructions for the child were this. Take the box home, put a treasure from home inside. Anything you want, put it inside, bring it back next week. Don't tell me what it is until we get up to the front. We'll have all the kids come up and we'll open the box and we'll find out what God wants us to talk about today based on what's in the box. And it was a lot of fun for a lot of years. It didn't really work as well when we moved into a bigger facility and things, so we don't do it uh, in these days. But I miss it. It's one of the things I miss most about er our early days at Lakeside. And it was so interesting when we did the mystery box <clears throat> because I was the guy on the spot. And uh, everybody in the audience like leaning forward was like, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't have anything to say about this which never happens. <laughs> or people were thinking, I wonder what I would say about that, or this is what I would say. And so everyone was really engaged. It was a little bit frustrating because I would put hours and hours of investment into the sermon. And people were like, hum, hum, hum. and then the mystery box would come and like, whoa. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get that. So we thought, we thought we'd do a little bit of sort of mystery box today and let you ask some questions and you could bring your stuff and we would try and address some of the things that you you know, we don't have a box for it today, but some of the stuff that you want to address. When I prepare a message on a weekend, I start on Monday with one thing. I do the same thing every single Monday, and that is I get my Bible out. I open to the passage that we're going to look at this next weekend, and I ask every single question I can think about that passage. So everything we get on the weekend starts with questions. And so <clears throat> with all that as background, we thought, what if we just did some questions and answers, hopefully some answers today, that you, we, you bring your questions, we'll address those questions about this. Now, the series we're going to start next weekend is about Jesus. And I know some of you are like, Pastor Brad, it's church, it's always about Jesus. I know, right, if that's, your, that's good, like, it's bring your Bible to church month, and it's always about Jesus. Right, but this series is going to be specifically about Jesus and the things he taught and the things he did from the book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, Jesus talked a lot about this thing he called the kingdom of heaven. And the most interesting thing about the kingdom of heaven to me is that it always surprised the people who listened to Jesus talk about it. Because we think we got heaven dialed in, we think we got all the answers, and then every time Jesus spoke, people were surprised about the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to do this series called when, when Heaven Sneaks Up on You. And it's going to be about Jesus and all of his life and teachings from the book of Matthew. So uh, if you want to ask questions today, uh, we've got a number for you to text in. Well, I don't trust you with a microphone. You should know that by now. But here's a, if you want to ask a question specifically about the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, something you've always wondered about Jesus but nobody's ever really addressed for you, text your question to that number. In fact, why don't you pull your phone out because... I want you to get this because we're going to take the number down in a minute. So take your phone, take your phone out and uh, open your text app. And I know some of you are thinking, I, I never text questions for things like this. I know some of you don't. But this may be the day that a question pops into your mind. You're like, i got to ask this question. And if you have the number already punched into your text app, then you're ready to roll. See how this works? 
All right, while you're getting that number in, Sean and Rachel, why don't you guys come up? This is Sean Miller and Rachel Blackburn. Why don't you welcome them, please? I thought it'd be more fun if we had a conversation about your questions rather than just I'll stand up here and talk to you about your questions. You okay there, Rachel? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I just am having mishaps every service. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Can't see how it goes as we go along here. So Rachel is one of our protégés. She's in her third year of being a protégé among us, doing a fantastic job in our high school ministry, Encounter. And primarily, she leads a small group ministry in Encounter, just doing a terrific job. So I wanted her to be up here and engage with us on this. Sean, you know, if you were with us the last three weekends, Sean led us through the uh, book of Ruth. Did a fantastic job of talking about chaos and how do we live and lean into the chaos in our lives? How do we trust God in the midst of that? And uh, so I wanted Sean to be here and be a part of uh, talking about these questions that we have as well. So let me start off talking about Jesus. Let's just tell us your favorite story from the life of Jesus, Rachel. All right. So um, my favorite story. There are so many um, Big one. stories I love. Um, Okay, so my favorite, I always go back to this one, is at the end of John, and it's when, after Jesus has been resurrected, and this is after Peter has denied Jesus, and John and Peter and some of the disciples are fishing, and um, a bo- Jesus calls out from them from the shore and you know, tells them, cast your net on the other side, and all of a sudden they catch so many fish, and John says to Peter, that's Jesus on the shore, and Peter jumps into the water and swims to shore, And then Jesus, you know, makes them breakfast, which I think is super cool because I'm a breakfast person. And (laughs) I love food. I'm thinking that's like one of the best breakfasts ever. Must be. I think. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And then Jesus and Peter have this conversation. And Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And it's such a clear um, example of how Jesus offers forgiveness to everyone. And, you know, Peter denied Jesus. That's a, that's really, really bad thing to do. And Jesus still forgives him and offers him so much love. Um, But then if you keep reading in that chapter, it's not so fun because he predicts Peter's death. But that love is still there. (laughs) So, you know, it's the Bible. It's real. There's a lot of very real stuff in here, that's for sure. Yeah. Sean, you have a favorite? Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's an awesome one. I love that one. And uh, one of my favorites is from Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. So the wee little man who climbed up in the tree, sycamore tree. And I love that story because I think it really shows the heart of God to do risky things. We have this saying out on the wall right there. You can write on the wall, you know, what are you willing to risk? And Jesus hung out with some shifty characters. I mean, I mean he did things that were socially inappropriate for his time. And so he hung out with these tax collectors and, and, and these different people, these, these criminals and, and stuff like that. And at the end of that little story in Luke chapter 19, it says that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And so he was willing to do things that were socially inappropriate for his time to go into places to associate with people that you're not supposed to associate with for the sake of their hearts for the sake of their lives to reach out and redeem them and I just think I you know, like what does that look like today I mean I'm, I'm thinking about that all the time like oh what would that look like to be misunderstood like Jesus was misunderstood but for the sake of loving somebody who is on the outside of whatever circle uh, we might make up in our culture today yeah. yeah wow what about your favorite teaching from Jesus you have a 
you have a favorite thing that he taught? Yeah, I mean, I, I love the Sermon on the Mount. I go back to that again and again. Um, it's so difficult. It's so radical. If we, if we would just try every morning to wake up and try to live out a section on the Sermon mm-hmm. on the Mount, Matthew, yeah. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, I think it would change our world. I think it's such a radical thing. And it starts with these things called the Beatitudes or the Blessings. And um, there's this one that I always struggled with, and I've shared this before, but uh, it says, the meek shall inherit the earth. And, and I always wrestled with that. I'm like, no, nah, nah, God, that, that's not true. Because I, I look at like the, the, the manipulators and the powerful and the rich and the people that are in control. They're the ones that are inheriting everything. They're the owners of everything. And... But then you look at Jesus' life and the way that he lived and how he talked about power, even to his disciples. James and John, who, who may have been Jesus' cousins, send their mom to say, hey, can we sit in these places of power in your kingdom? Talk about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is going to die, and they all know he's going to die because he's telling them, I'm going to die. And if you say you're a Messiah, you're going to die really quickly because Rome's going to kill you. And so they're like, well, well, we'll take over this messianic movement. We'll, we'll, we'll take charge. And they sneak behind the other disciples' backs. And Jesus says, this is not how power works with you guys. It, you know that that's how it works in the worldly kingdom. But in my kingdom, it's different. And he basically tells them, you, you have to become a servant. You have to become, and he uses this word, you have to become like a slave. And then he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so there's this downward spiral. You have, earlier he's like, you have to become like a child, you have to lower your status, and then you have to become like a servant, and then like a slave. And how did Jesus give his life as a ransom for many? On the cross. Who was the cross for? Criminals. So the king of kings and lord of lords does the most powerful thing in the history of time, in the history of the universe, and he dies a criminal's death for you and for me. That's meekness, power under submission, under control. And he does it out of love for us. And that's the way the world will be transformed. And so that's, that's just, it, 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 I, I, can, I can't get over that. Yeah. It's, just, it's so radical. Yeah, that's awesome. Rachel, you look like you're ready, but I want to switch the question on you. That's all right. Switch it. <laughs> I want to ask you, what's the most convicting thing that Jesus taught to you. Okay, you know what? This, this works too. Okay, so, <laughs> no, it really does. And I'm going to read it because it's so clear. It's, it, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of, it's probably my favorite teaching from the Gospels. Um, and so Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things would be, will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And it's just so clear that we're not meant to worry. We're meant to seek God and trust that he is going to provide. He's going to bring what we need. And I find that so difficult because I am a planner. Um, I like to be independent. I like to be self-sufficient. And so what my first thing is like, oh, I've got to figure out, you know, where is this money coming from? How am I going to budget? You know, all that planning. And that's good and that's wise. But my first thing always needs to be seeking God and trusting him and praying. And that's, that's not easy, and that's super convicting yeah. for me. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Hey, let's jump into what the questions you guys have. You got, are you guys ready back in the back? You got some questions for us? Yes? Good. What do you got? Hey, that was two. <laughs> Did Jesus have brothers or sisters? Yes. Next question. 
<laughs> there's a place, there's a passage in one of the Gospels where it lists the names of Jesus' brothers, and it talks about his sisters as well. So, yeah, he did have brothers and, and, and sisters. And the book of James in the New Testament was written by his, well, we call him his half-brother. Right. right. How did that work, you know? But, yeah, yeah so, so he's even an author. Yeah, yeah. and interesting enough, his half-brother didn't believe that he was the Messiah, you know, when he was on earth, and then ends up writing a book in the New Testament, which is super cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right, good. Next one. Or the first one that flashed up there for a second. What would Jesus' message be for God's purpose in Houston? Hmm. I think it would be hope, first and foremost, that, you know, God has um, promised that there's a hope in a future for all believers and that he will provide. Um, and I couldn't even imagine the devastation that they're going through and, you know, watching everything that you own be taken away from you. Uh, but I imagine that Jesus would want them to remember how much they still have just because of what Jesus has done and the hope that we have for heaven and that we're going to spend forever um, with God. You know, the amazing thing that happens in a disaster like this is everybody who, everybody who is at odds politically comes together. Mm-hmm. Everybody who's at odds in some, even in, even in neighborhood disputes, come together. And I think there's a message from Jesus for us in that, just to say, you know, in the course of your life, when you come to church and everyone looks good and, you know, we've got it all polished up and you can't see what's going on inside, we are so often so unaware of the disasters that are going on in one another's hearts. If we were to have a a compassionate sense and awareness of of the pain and the hardship and the challenge that's going on in one another's lives regularly, would would we be as critical of one another? Hmm. Would we be as unkind to one another if we just looked for that? And maybe the message, not necessarily just for everyone in Houston, but for us who are at a distance away to be able to say, well, what do I learn from this? Maybe God wants me to practice more compassion and kindness all the time. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. All right. What else you got? What do we know about younger Jesus, say childhood through adolescence, and when did he know he was the Messiah? Sweet. Well, there is a story about him going to the temple when he was 12. Yeah. And that's really all we know from the scriptures. There's traditions. Uh, the, the, the Jewish people had tons of traditions that they would talk about, but we really honestly don't know much about his childhood. We know that he, um, he stayed behind in Jerusalem when they took him there when he was 12 years old, and he wanted to uh, dialogue with the rabbis, and they were super impressed, you know, about what he knew even at the age of 12. And, and uh, I, I think he had this sense about him. I, I'm not sure. I, th- I think that Jesus had to grow up and mature like all of us did because he experienced what it means to be fully human. This is what the scriptures tell us. I don't think he floated on air, you know, going around doing miracles to impress his friends. I, I think he worked in his father's carpentry shop. You don't, probably, think he, you don't think he practiced walking on water? I don't. I, I don't. I, he, no. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Wouldn't you, though, just, if, if you were God and you had that power, wouldn't you, as a teenager? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I think he had to. I don't think he had it all nailed down from the very beginning. I actually think he had to grow up. His mind had to mature. I think there was a time when he was about 11 or 12 where he started to learn how to think abstractly, just like normal human beings do. And so he was probably a very concrete thinker as a little kid and, and, and stuff. And so um, I, I think 
as he got older and right around the age of 30, everything started to emerge for him. And so he experienced that idea of, I, I, I am the one. I am the one who is sent. And he was confident of that. But I, I think sometimes we, we make it a little more magical than it needs to be. And we forget that there was this historical human side of Jesus. And he grew up like we grew up. And, and that God was willing to submit to that. You know, and that's, that's a hard thing to admit. Like, he's willing to submit to the maturity phases that even our kids go through, and we watch them go through. So that's fascinating. The whole, the whole second half, that second question, when did, when did he become aware that he was the Messiah, has to presuppose that Jesus learned. Mm. Mm. And I think in my younger days as a Jesus follower, I never, I, I didn't think that. I figured he... He came out of the womb. No one's like, I'm the Messiah. <laughs> I'm the Messiah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right that. That's weird. Right Christmas that. time. <laughs> but, yeah, I think he learned. He, he had to learn. Everything you described is beautiful. Yeah. I think that's yeah. accurate. Yeah. He did definitely know, though, when he was 12 and he was at the temple, he knew that God was his father. Like, he knew that without a doubt from the beginning. I think mm. that's really probably the most important thing to know about Jesus is there was never, like, a doubt in his mind, like, about who God was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. Next one. Since one of God's great commands for his children was to be fruitful and multiply, why didn't Jesus have children? Mm. <laughs> this is probably the hardest this one's, question This one's yet. so easy. Ian wants to answer it. <laughs> well, let me, let me take a swing at the first part of this. Uh, I don't think it's a command to be fruitful and multiply. I think it's a blessing. Which are different. See, we look at that scripture, we go, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's not like God giving us orders. That's God saying, here's what I want you to do. This will be, be a blessing for you. This will be, be delightful for you as you, you know, procreate and, and as you have children and you raise children. There'll be hard spots in there, but this is going to be delightful for you. So I think it's a blessing that he gave to us more so than a command. Well, Jesus was asked about marriage um, a couple different times, and in one of those discourses, uh, he talks about the fact that some people are born, and uh, they're never going to have children. They just don't have, I mean, Paul talked about this, I, I believe, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and he called it a gift. And so um, not everybody fits into the same mold, yeah. you know, and then Jesus is, is also this Messiah, and so what's the vocation of Messiah? What's he supposed to do? What's he supposed to be about? And and that sort of thing. And so then you go, well, maybe that just doesn't fit in to God's plan for himself. And maybe it doesn't fit into God's plan for everybody. Yeah. And so and that's, that's quite okay. And we ought to, yeah, we ought to be okay with that. Yeah. I, I think, again, going back to the command piece, I think so often we look at the things God does and we, we think of him as like this directive. You have to do it like this. And more often I think God is going, hey, I have this for you. Hey, I have this for you. And for some of us, that's marriage. For some of us, that's singleness and and. You know, we don't always look at those the same, but both of those can be a gift from God. Either of yeah. those could be a gift from God. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah, cool. Uh, good. Next one. Since God is all-powerful, why doesn't he make people who don't believe believe? Hmm. Cool. Rachel? Because we have a choice. Um, God loved us enough to allow us to choose to love him. And I think that is so important because um, if he had forced us, it was like he would have forced followers and that it just wouldn't be the same. So what I do believe, though, is that God pursues every single person on this earth 
um, so that they would know him, so that they would know who he is. And that's what we're here for. You know, that's what it means to be a disciple, is that we're a part of God pursuing others, you know, by the way that we love them, by the way we invite them into our homes, when we tell them the gospel, just in everything that we do, we are here to represent God so that others can come to believe. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, you think about what, what is the nature of love? You know, lo- love, love doesn't, love's not embedded with manipulation. It's not embedded with, um, you know, forcing somebody to do something against their will and that sort of thing, or even controlling like a robot. And so, so the whole idea of, of choice, you know, I, I asked my wife to marry me. I didn't manipulate her. You know, some people believe that still, you know. <laughs> I can't believe that, you know. So, but just the nature of love. You I tricked her. They I, think you tricked her. I sing her a sweet song on the beach <laughs> is what I did, you know. Oh. <laughs> Got a little romantic. So you did trick yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I smoothed her. No. Okay. <laughs> All right, good, good. Good job. Let's hear another one. See another one. Why did Jesus allow Satan to lead him to be tempted? And why would he follow Satan anywhere knowing it is a path to destruction? Hmm. Uh, Sean, tell the story first because not everyone here maybe yeah. knows that story we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, so there's this interaction with Jesus when he gets baptized. And after he gets baptized, it says that the Spirit leads him out into the desert. And he's in the desert, and it says he's being tempted by Satan. And so um, Satan, it's really, I, I, I think, and you may correct me on this, but it's, um, it's just in, in the original language, it's, it's the evil. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, what that looks like, I, I, don't, I don't have any idea. But there's, there's some sort of power grab going on. And Jesus is tempted to uh, do things that uh, have to do with power. So there's these three temptations, and they all have to do with assuming power. And again, remember what I said earlier about meekness. Jesus isn't worried about power. He knows who he is. The enemy is trying to grasp at power. And all three temptations, Jesus submits to his father and says, I'm not going to grab after power. I'm not going to do that. And actually, that was the most powerful thing that he could have done because he doesn't have to somehow try to grab at it. And, um, and, and so it's this, it's this fascinating lesson for us. Uh, and, and then all three temptations, the other thing that Jesus did was he answered the temptations with Scripture. And so he didn't try to, he didn't try to battle it out with the Satan or the evil one. He, he didn't try to have this long debate. Um, instead, he just would answer the temptation with Scripture. And then that, and then that was that. And so it's a great interesting uh, little lesson for us on how how do we approach the temptations in our lives or the opportunities where we can kind of grasp at something especially power uh, in our lives and so that's just a little slice of of the story there yeah and why would and why would jesus move into what satan's doing and follow him to do anything i think it's part of what that question was yeah rachel you or sean you You know, I think at the beginning of the story, I don't think it says that Jesus follows Satan. I think Satan comes to him, um, and Satan wants to trick Jesus and and kind of make him stumble. Um, And so I think that it's not that, you know, Jesus was following Satan and looking for this opportunity. But again, what Sean was saying, I think it's an amazing model for us that there are ways to fight temptation. There's a verse somewhere in the New Testament that says that God will always offer you a way out of temptation when you pray and ask for it. And, you know, I believe that Jesus was praying during that, and he 
And this time he used scripture. And I think that is a powerful tool, but God will give us other ways as well. And I think it's just good for us to remember, like, you know, I think people get freaked out by like Satan and all that idea, but you know, Jesus is so much more powerful and we just need to focus on that. God's word is so much more powerful. And if we just keep our eyes on that, we're going to be, we're going to be great. We're going to get through this life. Hmm. Yeah. Good. What else? What would Jesus say about overcoming obstacles to get where you think you should be going versus giving in to the plan God may have for you? How do you know when to stop persevering? I think when you're, when you're trying to discern God's plan for your life, um, Brad did a, like a sermon series about this a while ago. What, there are things in, in the Bible that are just so clear, like clear directives from God. Like, this is what you should do. You should love God. You should love others. You know, you should keep yourselves, like, from sexual temptation. Or, like, there's all these very clear, you know, this is what you should do. And then when it comes to, like, career and all that sort of stuff, it can be harder to figure out, all right, what am I meant to do? And a huge part of this is that God has given each of us gifts, right? Things that we are good at. And so what are those things in your life? And then what are those things that you are passionate about? And yes, anything that you strive towards is going to have obstacles. Um, and when you overcome them, you are creating endurance in your life and more faithfulness, which is very cool. And when you're doing that, you're going to grow your relationship with Christ. Um, but also, I think it's so important to have other people speak into this, whether it's your parents, whether it's close friends, whether it's your spouse, they are going to see things that you can't. They are going to see maybe how God created you and how God may have gifted you as well. Um, so really, I mean, read scripture, look into your life, see how am I, how, how did God create me, and then ask friends. It's kind of... Good. Yeah, good. How old are you? 25. Nice job. <laughs> and way to reference a, a, a message series that I guess... <laughs> it was job. the best Good one. Job. No, honestly, it, like, you, uh, what was it called? Do you remember? Because it was the best message series I've ever heard on discerning all that God's will and stuff. Do you remember? <laughs> no. Way to put me on the spot. I take back all that stuff. <laughs> I don't remember what it was called, but I remember it was fantastic. <laughs> all right. No, I agree with what you said. That's cool. Uh, we got time for two more. Give us, give us another one, you guys. How can we decide what to do when Jesus says to turn the other cheek, yet we feel the need to stand up for ourselves, family, or faith? It's a great question. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that phrase, turn the other cheek. And th there's, there's different understandings of what that meant at the time. And uh, one of the things we do know is that uh, when a Roman soldier, uh, in particularly, but it could have been a person of uh, nobility that was looking down, maybe on a peasant, when they would slap the cheek, they would do it with the back of the hand. So, you know, Rachel, no, <laughs> I would never. No. So, so, so you're looking down, so you're slapping like this. So when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he's not just saying, like, take, take a beating. What, he, what he's saying is, when you turn the other cheek, they're forced to come back this way. And when, they're, when they come back this way, they're making a statement. The back of the hand was for somebody that was less than you, less status than you it wasn't just a physical thing of violence it was a shaming thing so to come back this way that person has to say to you even without saying it you're my equal 
And so when you're talking about turning the other cheek, yes, we're not talking about retributive violence, but we are talking about just the whole action of turning the other cheek is to stand up and say, I'm a human being. I'm created with dignity. You may do your worst to me, but I know who I am. And I am your equal. No matter where you're at in in society, no matter how rich you are or how powerful, what position you have, God created us all equal. And so that's what that's really about. And so when Jesus goes to the cross, he's taking a punishment. And he's God. He's like, no, I'm, I'm going to take this. He doesn't just say, turn the other cheek. He actually does it. And he proves it. And so, you know, was Jesus a pacifist? That's a whole other question, you know, which, you know, we can dial about, dialogue about sometime. But that's kind of a little bit of the cultural, what that was about, less than just taking a beat down. So, All right, All right last one. <laughs> <laughs> Brad? Really? You saved this for the last one? <laughs> yeah, tell me. I want to know how to vote next time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Which one do you want them to be? Well, so here's the deal. <laughs> Independent. Yeah, here, here's the deal. Isn't it interesting how much we want Jesus to fit into our camp? Isn't it interesting how much, how badly we want Jesus to be on our side? And when we try and put Jesus into a side, we become just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 22, and it leads into chapter 23 and chapter 24, where the Pharisees and the Sadducees, two different religious slash political parties in Jesus' generation, they were coming to Jesus and they were trying to test him. And what they were really testing was, do you land on our side? Human beings are notorious side takers. And we think that God lines up in our side. And every time the Pharisees tried to get him, they missed. And every time the Sadducees tried to get him, they missed. And if you try and put them in a Republican box, you miss. And if you try and put them in a Democratic box, you miss. Because he always surprises us. I believe that the, the two major parties in the United States, the Democrats and the Republicans, each stand for some things that are good. And we don't give one another credit for that. We think our party does everything good and the other party does everything bad, and that's just not true. If we as Christ followers were to learn that Jesus cannot be put into a box, but there are things that some people believe and practice that he blesses, and there are some things that people in another party practice and believe that he blesses, if we can get to that spot and therefore we would treat one another with more respect and with more thoughtfulness, we would be in a lot different place in our world. And if just the Christ followers in America would choose that course, we would be in a lot different place in this world. Amen. Amen. All right. Josh and Jameson, you guys were on the editing back there today, so we'll talk later (laughs) about that. Why don't you guys guys come back up? You guys, great questions today. Thanks for asking those questions. Thanks for engaging in that process. We, We appreciate that a lot. So good job. Uh, let's see. We're going to give an offering in just a moment. Rachel, why don't you pray for us and just to conclude this time for us, ask God's blessing in our thinking of all this stuff that uh, <laughs> God's led us through today. Yeah, of course. Dear God, I thank you so much that you have allowed us this time just to come together and to talk about you and to ask 
questions about you. I thank you that you are not a God that is scared of our questions. God, I thank you so much that you have given us your word so that we might be able to answer all everything that we need to know in order to follow you. And I pray that this week, God, as we go out, that you would give us reminders that you are with us, that you will help us to follow you, that you will remind us of who we should be reaching out to and who in our oikos needs um, some encouragement and to hear from us. And God, I just lift up again the people in Houston, and I just pray that you will provide for them, that you will be with them, um, that you will help this rebuilding process to go as quick as possible. And I just pray that they would feel your presence and know that they are blessed even as they have nothing. And God, thank you that we are blessed and we, may we remember to thank you for everything that we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. Nice All job right. today.